0: For now, let's start the conversation.
1: Alright, welcome Mary Ann Linder, CMPCED. You are joining us today from the District of Columbia area. um, And you are the senior manager uh, at the Water Environment Federation. Where you do the Weftech education, you'll have to tell us a little bit more about that in a moment. But if I look at your LinkedIn profile, uh, Marianne, <clears throat> I can see that you're an experienced meeting professional who believes in the ability of meetings to help truly connect the world. And in this ever-changing world, you believe that design thinking is critical to the success of events. You have your certification as a certified event designer, and you're customer service driven. And you pride yourself on the customer service ability and enjoy creating quality educational events. Welcome to this Design to Change podcast.
0: Thank you
2: so much. I'm excited to be here today.
1: Awesome. Uh, before you were at the Water Environment Federation, we just uh, spoke about that a little bit. You were also you started off your career at the International Bridge Tunnel and Turnpike Associations. You were with the Association of Operations Management and the American Cleaning Institute, and then you moved to the Water Environment Federation. So you have a broad scope of different spaces that you're active in.
2: Yes, I have been. It's been a journey, let's put it that way.
1: So let's start off, Marianne, with the question we ask all of our guests right from the get-go, which is the question on the first page of the Design to Change book. A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance?
2: That's a pretty high no. I would say, I think you really need to set up conversations. You need to, and I know everyone's probably tired of this word, you need to intentionally decide what the path is and go with that. And so, I would not leave them up to chance. I don't think, as a meeting planner, that's really in my DNA either. (laughs) I don't like to leave much up to chance in any area.
1: I, I um, I've seen that. We've also seen that when you became a CD Plus, and now you're you're becoming an EDC mastermind. Leaving things to chance is not is not how you how how you as a meeting planner function. Now, let's 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 tackle this next question, which is, what's currently on your horizon of change?
2: So that horizon looks really big right now. I think change is going to be. Uh, almost like we're drinking out of a huge pipe right now. I think coming back to much more being in person, I think for many of us, we're excited about change right now and making those shifts. So the things I would say are on my horizon of change really relate to my job in that we're looking in the next year to make the volunteer experience even better, more streamlined, And I would say reacting to the stresses that people feel in their everyday lives. So whereas once upon a time you could give a ton of time, maybe time is now scaled back on what you can give, right? So I think I'm gonna be looking at the volunteer experience and how we make that even better and deal with the realities of the world. And then I think in WEFTEC itself, I think, finding out what consumers want and making sure the event is meeting that future forward right we're always great at giving what we've done but moving and turning for me um, an event with anywhere from 15 to 25 workshops and hundreds of sessions plus so you get hundreds of speakers to make those adjustments will be on the horizon of change, and to help the volunteers feel comfortable with the change. I think feeling that comfort, as I think some things are going to shift, and some things that we came out of the pandemic that are permanent may not have been expected, but then also looking really, what do people want from live events, big live events in their education?
1: And when you talk about the Water Environment Federation, can you you just scope out a little bit what it is that people should imagine, right, when they're listening to this, because WEFTEC sounds like an acronym, the Water Environment Federation. (laughs) We have kind of a... Sketch out your environment to us.
2: Yeah. So the Water Environment Federation is the home for individuals who work in the field of water, heavily in wastewater, but you can get any type of drinking water too. Um, utilities, global organization. Um, We are membership driven individually, but we have um, member associations throughout the United States. And then we put on several events. So we try to educate people. That was the original intent of WES, was in education of professionals in this field. and so our biggest event is Weftech. Um It can have, in regular years, 20,000 plus people. Um, and we have tons of exhibits. We're heavy on the exhibits. Um, it's a place to come and see all the technologies that are coming out. And really, at the same time, for those that want really in-depth education, we offer it. And then, is part of the West family of events. We have anywhere from five to seven more regional events um, that are more focused topically. So West Tech covers, I would say, the entire system of <laughs> wastewater treatment, like whatever aspect, and not even just treatment. We get into stormwater. It's really like everything. Then we do specialty conferences that take a deep dive into one or two areas uh, per event. And that's uh, not something I get to work on because WebTech, with all of the speakers and all of the sessions, is a year-round job.
1: I can only imagine with twenty thousand participants, you know, in, in its in its kind of large-scale size. And then your the organization does uh, journals and magazines and books and study guides oh, and yeah. technical materials. I, I, you know, we're just taking a glance, and we'll add the link also uh, to the footer notes if people want to know more about uh, the event, maybe. Um, when you think about an event like this and you think about the change, you know, water is such an important element, um, do you feel like the, the, the content is also changing very quickly now as a result of what's happening in the world or how do you how do you see that?
2: I think our content is because it's based on science, what we do heavily, it's often kind of slow to change. Every now and then there are big changes topically, Um, for instance, they may start to look, and we have been, I see this more energy, how to become a renewable energy source. And that's becoming more and more to the forefront of what utilities want is to be kind of neutral on how they use and what they put out there. I think those topics change, but a lot of what we provide is kind of consistent right it's not it's not like i've worked in some organizations where i think your your change supply chain would be one where change is like really rapid yeah we're a little bit more you've got your core and then you um, have the other topics that kind of come and bubble but even once they bubble they tend to stay i would say Mm
1: -hmm, mm mm-hmm So that's interesting. How let's say because it's evidence-based science and it's 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 yeah. research-based, the speed of that is relative to the research that comes out, I suppose. Um, in a very dynamic environment, I can imagine in twenty thousand you know uh, people and these member associations across a large space uh, like the United States, um, there must be a lot of let's say um, supply and demand interactivity as well that then happens around the new science and the existing science and. Sounds like an exciting dynamic space. Um, It is. Yeah. How how over the last, uh, you know, because a lot of change has been pushed onto us, uh, you know, from from many different angles, how how has that kind of been over the last period? And as we're talking, it's the 30th of March 2022. Um, just for sort of to give people some historical context, they might listen to this a number of years from today, wondering what we're talking about, Marianne. But can can you explain a little bit what happened these last two years and how has that kind of impacted WebTech?
2: Yeah, I think um, in 2020 we had to go all virtual for the first time, and figuring out how to make your content relevant in a virtual world is very different than the in person, and building that out and looking at what what do our end users members and non-members who work in the space really want from WEF and expect so we had that change in 2020 and our volunteers in a matter of three months took what had been planned to be a live event fully virtual and in 2020 we took anyone who wanted to speak into the virtual space with us because we didn't know what would happen and how it would be. We found out that, at least for our audience, a large online only presence for a lot of sessions and not having any interchange really wasn't the way to go. Hmm. So they adjusted to that accordingly. And then as we looked to go back in person in 21, we really found the research was indicating if you're coming to a live event, it's because you want to network with people. So how, on the education front, do we respect and help people get their ROI from the event? Through the education, helping them make connections became kind of our next big, instead of viewing it as an omnichannel out, like here's the speaker, here's your lecture, go to the next lecture, go to the next lecture. That wasn't going to help people in 21 as much. So program that we built for many years which was heavily lecture-based had to undergo um, an evolution to letting people connect more with each other in the subject matter. I see 22 WebTech is being very similar. We don't want to get rid of helping people find each other, right? If if you're all passionate about the same thing you just need connected and I think That's the difference in a huge event. You need help making those connections. You can't just leave it to serendipity to make it really help someone get their ROI. You know, an event of 30 people, it will happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They will make connections. But if you've got 11 or this year, we're gonna have 13 concurrent sessions, finding the right people that may become a trust advisor to you or someone you can go to is something that we need to keep doing and intentionally doing. So I think that's how it's kind of changed from really luxury to now we're trying to, and we've seen these trends coming, you know, for a couple years that people really want to be engaged, but now you kind of have to make these changes and crystallize it. Help people find each other. I think that gets back to my passion. I think connecting people and helping, you will be able to change things if you find the right people who have similar interests and likes and goals. Yeah. So we can do that. We can facilitate that.
1: That's powerful. So it's, it's, it's both the content as a connector, uh, because people, if people care about common things, they end up having good conversations very often, right? Yes. Um, but then also, like like you say, if you have a group of 30 people, you're bound to meet each other. But when there's 20,000 people, that's a very different dynamic, considering they're going in 15 different directions and different tracks and streams and things that are happening. Yeah. Um, how, how has the, let's say, how has the experience because you mentioned before like the volunteer experience is super important as well to to bring people back on board and why that's relevant and how that's how that's relevant to them um has anything else changed um because of what we've gone through these last two years besides these two things
2: oh i think so much has changed but um i think some of it is that you know as much as there's been change people are craving to go back to the way it was in some ways i think you have that dichotomy i think there's some people coming out of this who are just like more change you know give it to me let's keep and then you've got this sense in the world of let's go back to the way it was Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: so you've got these kind of fighting priorities i think happening now Um, how do you manage to keep both sides feeling a part of the events it's really going to be a balancing act moving forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Has it been helpful for you in your organization? Because I always wonder about that if you're like in, uh, you know, scientific uh, environment, or at least the content is scientifically based and you have a magazine and a journal and you know, books and Mm -hmm. public outreach policy and regulations that you're doing, there's all these activities that you have does that help you create the content because you have these competencies in-house already? Or is it more of a, is that, does it make it more difficult for you as a meeting planner to then act and operate in your space?
2: That's a really good question. I think we really try to make it kind of a two-way conversation where we listen to what's happening around us But interestingly for us, often Weftech kind of has everyone thinking, oh, this is important content. So content from Weftech will go to the magazine. So we really try to make it a two-way street. I think communication and figuring out priorities is always a little bit of a struggle. But I think that's true for any large organization, right? That conversation... But then, after you have it, the implementation of it um, is definitely something that we work to have and we work to constantly keep going.
1: I like that conversation and implementation are like, they're, they're two things that need to connect because conversation without implementation leads to a lot of lost air, maybe, yeah. right? Or It doesn't really lead to action. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I think that's true. I think people need to be able to meet and then take action. Otherwise, you're just having meetings for the sake of having meetings or conversations that can be interesting, but don't move anything forward. Hmm. And I personally hate meetings without a point. It's like a pet peeve of mine.
1: Yeah. I really so- want... A purpose, <laughs> and and people hate the meetings about meetings too, right? And considering you're a meeting <laughs> planner and that you're now, you know, you're an event designer, you facilitate the thinking of a group of people. How has that changed your your the way you function in your organization so far?
2: I think I've really enjoyed it. It's helped me feel more confident to lead conversations. I also think it's at least my thinking has really been able to be a little, I want to say different. So last year, for instance, we were talking about doing some of our learning exchanges, which are just topical conversations. There are no speakers. And I can remember clearly while I sat on this meeting and they were talking about one topic maybe, And I was like, but does the stakeholder, because they were talking about um, a stakeholder group, do they really Mm -hmm. want the content given to them this way? Are they really a part of this conversation or is this more about them? And so I think using much of the language of the event design process has let me open up my thinking. Um, And I hope it kind of leads the way for others to really view the stakeholders and what they need and want,
1: especially the first part, right? What they need, because sometimes they they know what they yeah. want, or they'll tell you what they want, or they think they will know what they want. Yeah. But then you digging further for the need is also what ultimately delivers the the next level of value, I suppose, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And when you're, I really think that value. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No. So. So. Um, Take us down that path a little bit further. Since you've, um, you know, since, since becoming a certified event designer, then you've led actually one of the cohorts, you, you've been a coach to other people wanting to become certified event designers. Um, th- th- those two steps, ha- have, have they translated, do you think, back into how your team or how you function, like you said, with your own team? It's making you more confident, the ability to lead the conversations. Um, Do you think the event design changes as a result of it?
2: Does the event design change? I think it does slowly. I think often in associations change generally is a little bit slower pace than say corporate where Mm -hmm. it moves really rapidly. I think all of those factors let you come at things with a different view and having had the experience of getting my certification and then helping other people coach, you get to look at a lot of different actual events and kind of pick brains and Mm. look at things differently. I found it very eye-opening to explore the corporate world and how their events work Mm. and their layout, which is something that I didn't have a lot of exposure to prior to this. And so I think it kind of brings together all of the elements into one kind of blender and then you get to sift through it and find what's relevant for that project or how you will piece together to make yourself a stronger proponent and mm. the events that you're working on and you can look at what corporate are now doing like i said that was really fascinating to me
1: and do you because i suppose some of you are uh, constituents uh, are corporations that cater to yes. the members of the associations and somehow might be involved in your event as well. Now you look at them through a different lens maybe.
2: Yeah I think you do and you really start um, even through Meeting Professionals International I've been able to connect with some of um, our members, their staff. Now they may not work on WEFTEC was the funny thing she worked on another product line but I got to know her a little bit and he I think I had a different appreciation. And interestingly, I think for me in West's event, I think I appreciate even more the exhibitor experience because working on the technical program is one thing, but then the exhibits are run by another part of our assist group that I Mm -hmm. work with. Mm -hmm. And so I now appreciate their experience a little bit more, the exhibitor and it's opened up my eyes to their to their world and what they're struggling with and wanting to accomplish.
1: Yeah, and I think just like how different volunteers are to the member associations, to maybe the corporations, and then you have this whole dynamic of your own organization, the outside world. Um, you mentioned also in one of your first roles, um, you, you were uh, also exposed to running international meetings across different regions of the world. Uh, has How has that shaped your thinking or how has that influenced what you do today?
2: Oh, I think the world needs to be connected. It's funny that you say that. I think that's that's why I fell in love with meeting planning. I um, was working for an international association where you brought together people from around the world with different views, different experiences.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I grew up in an area where I didn't have that connection, right? It was pretty much homogeneous, boring, to be blunt, (laughs) I found that boring. I like Mm. the melting pot and I even like it in my personal life. That's why I like the DC area. It's so cool to run upon all of this and to see, um, for instance, my son goes to school. I think they speak 23 languages within his school. I did not have that opportunity. (laughs) And so I think meetings can change the world because you can bring people together in a safe space.
1: Yeah, I love that. Talking about safe space, Marianne, we can stay in this uh, design to change topic and, and, and go down that rabbit hole a little bit further. Um, not saying that's a safe space, but we could end up somewhere else, <laughs> right? or we could spin the wheel and see if we hit one of the other topics that are part of the design to change book. Um, what, what do you prefer? So we stick with design to change or do you want to spin the wheel?
2: This is a really hard decision to make today. I think I'm going to stick with design to change because I right. really think I'm enjoying that.
1: I like that a lot. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to propose a couple of these questions to you because design to change is a okay. big topic, like you said. Um, the first, the first, um, and and for those that have the book on page 46 and 47, the, that's where the questions on the worksheet is. It's also available online. We'll add the link to the comments. Um, and I'm also going to ask Mariana a favor that after we finish this conversation, we're going to ask you to maybe submit your questions also in a little writing note. Uh, so people can read that in your comments as well after after the um, uh, after the event. Um, but let's start with the first questionnaire. Uh, the first one here is: How do you involve others in the change you design for?
2: Oh, that's a good one. That's one that we've chatted that figuring out who the stakeholders are, but even broader, who's going to be a part of your design change is really tricky. Hmm. Um, I think it's a process that often you need to look and it's, you need to involve some people who maybe have been around for a little bit who have that experience. You need to find the change makers for yourself. You need to find the people who are excited by change, Mm -hmm. who aren't scared of it and who want to maybe... Take that leap of faith, and bring them in to it, so that you get um, a really good picture. I was looking yesterday at the original event design handbook, mm-hmm. and um, looking at lead, like, yeah, <laughs> and that was it. The lead, the logical, empathy, action, and difference. You really need all four personalities yeah. to make everything stick, and you yeah. can't come down on people as if you're talking to at them you need to involve and bring them in so it's really what i find fascinating lately and i've been thinking about this is change management yeah and so even deciding who to involve is about change management yeah and I intend to take a class of that shortly, so that I can fully start to immerse myself in the change management world.
1: Fantastic. It's actually part of a new program we're building around the new book, designed to Change, as well. It's, it's going to be very much that topic. So um, we're, we're keen I to see forward it. To it. Yeah. So, so, so a part of what you're going to experience in the mastermind will be, this experience that people have around this kind of change and how to deal with it, right? Because now that you're equipped with a design methodology and you're able to, um, let's say, master the process, once you know who you wanna involve in the change, you can bring them down the path of the process to come out with design things. But before you can do that, I'm gonna ask you this next question, which is actually where you start the whole process. And that's the question, how do you have the conversation with your event owner so where what's the braiding point how do you how do you have the conversation with your event owner
2: oh that one is always a little tricky i think um i think you have to bring in that you're a trusted partner that you're someone that you can work with them and start the conversation from a place where you're just not trying to be critical
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you see oh well, maybe we could do this a little differently or that and you frame in how the market is shifting and it's time for a freshening and you kind of just try to bring yourself into that loop and say hey here's some of the things I'm seeing why don't we it's not a one-time conversation and done for few of us, I suspect. I think it's um kind of slowly bringing yourself in like, Hey, I'm here. This, this needs, what if we looked at it this way and repeatedly and gently said, right? And it's really that trusted partnership.
1: And, and you, you've and, been in this organization for, for, for a good decade, right? So you've, you've, you have that institutional knowledge. You are the trusted advisor internally. Um, has it become easier over time? Do you feel to have that event owner conversation or?
2: I really think for me, it is getting there. Hmm. It's always a work in progress, right?
1: Yeah.
2: For me, getting my CED plus was really the difference. I feel having gone through the process and coached people really confident In my skill set and really able i also think over that same time i led um, an event design within my organization and so doing those two at the same time was something that just really the two fed off of each other and then Mm -hmm. helped me feel more able to say hey because part of that is having confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. to have these conversations and being able to say what you want authoritatively, but not coming off like, oh, I know better than you, because you don't. We're all growing and learning together, and so it's about bringing that in. Yeah. But I do feel like it's helped, and especially the CED Plus was like, wow.
1: Yeah.
2: It was eye-opening.
1: Which is actually a fairly unstructured program, right? Because you, you're in fact a coach of people that are learning the same thing that you learned maybe a yeah. year or two earlier. Um, But the fact that I found that interesting, the fact that you were and designing your own event and coaching others that were doing the same thing in their organization, um, you had a little bit of headway above the other people because you had already become a certified event designer and already delivered an event design back. Um, I find that fascinating, which leads to the next question as well, is how do the events you design become markers of change in your organization?
2: Hmm. Sorry, it takes me a minute to think yeah. through this. And, and,
1: and uh, so so Weftech is every year, right? Yes. It's a yearly event. So you've seen 10 editions. Uh, so have you seen that these Weftech events have become markers of change in the organization? If you look back 10 years and you look at like 2021, 2022, where we're now... Can you see the delta? I think
2: I, I do see changes that have come. And it's really, it's funny you say, it. it's really hard in a big event to have people even notice because there's 5 million things going on at one time. <laughs> but if I really look, and I think 21 really crystallized all of the changes that we have been making slowly, maybe evolutionary, it really kind of forced them to come faster. Mm-hmm. um i i see WEF Tech as really having a big place for our members and constituents in that you get everything under one roof and now we're really trying to take it home so that you can find those connections like i talked about earlier and say maybe i heard this for the first time at WEF Tech is kind of the goal mm-hmm. and no matter what your level, right? Because we do yeah. offer fundamentals that never change or rarely change, right? And that's still helping someone find something new in their day yeah. and not just the same old, same old. We're really pushing on that for 22 for our volunteers as they develop the program to put in the most unheard, might be, or
1: mm-hmm. maybe
2: you haven't heard this two times at other events, really to try to push that envelope a little bit.
1: Yeah. And do you find, so, <clears throat> oh sorry, sorry to interrupt, but the, no, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, because a thought pops in my head, some events that I've gone to for maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years in a row, because it's the community that I'm part of, or this is part of where I, you know, feel like I belong. Um, without noticing myself, I noticed that I also evolve over those 10, 15, 20 years, you know, from what I liked when I went first to what I liked 10 years ago to what I like today. Yes. People evolve over time. Uh, and you should not forget that there's some people that go for the first time where you think that the content is no longer new, but it's still super relevant for people that come for the first that, time. That's, yeah.
2: Yes. It, and, you know, I talked to some of our members who were Some of my most dedicated volunteers, and they're like, I don't attend a ton of sessions at this point, but they've been going for years and years because they'll do their volunteer work and then they'll go meet with people. And it's a lot about, but when they started out, it was heavy on the session attendance and getting just the credits and absorbing everything. And I think that's a personal journey through your meetings, right? Mm -hmm. That many participants take if you're really loyal to a meeting.
1: I like that. Meeting loyalty. It's like,
2: yeah. the
1: question is, are you loyal to the meeting or are you loyal to the people that go to the meeting or are you loyal to your own kind of like professional development or so there's all sorts of loyalty that play into that, right?
2: Yeah, and I think it's true. Some people, it is, I think for a lot of people with tech, they talk about it's like family and going back and seeing contacts that they've and i experienced that whenever i've gone to meetings um for my own professional development and then you have people who like you said are new first time who may be exploring and and the trajectory is there they're just there for knowledge absorption
1: okay yeah.
2: and i love that idea though of loyalty to which section we have people that just love the exhibits and that's what they're there for <laughs> yeah, and we yeah. need to serve that and do make that as good as um, opportunity for them
1: yeah
2: and you have so you in essence you end up with a lot of competing loyalties i think
1: yeah yeah i've never thought of it like that because uh, the time is scarce that you could spend there right so what are you loyal to you can't be at a one hour or two hour you know uh session and at the same time be talking to the people at the at the booth where you wanna, you know, reestablish the relationship yeah. or maybe, you know, foster whatever it is that you hadn't been able to be able to do over the last two years because you were disconnected from the face-to-face contact. So uh, bringing it to the next question maybe, because I like those different types of loyalties. Uh, one loyalty there always usually is in place is uh, of the event owner, right, towards the vision they have for where is this organization headed and how does this event fit into that picture? Um, How do you enable your event owner to express their vision when you're talking about Weftech?
2: That's a good question too. Um, I think it's through regular check-ins, regular conversation there is a team of us for weftech that are um, internal that meet very regularly so you can hear what are the priorities and at WEF, maybe i'm in a slightly i feel lucky position weftech is a solid part of the portfolio mm-hmm. it's there it's a great people want to come we get talks from partners who are like hey can we come do something at your event because they know the audience will be there. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, Other staff want to hold events. Um, It almost becomes so much that you have to watch so that the experience, once someone's there, is they can manage. It's not like, oh, I've got to be here and here and here and here and here. Super overwhelming. But I think we know that it holds such a valuable place. It's just hearing those tweaks along the way, like, Oh, this year, maybe our priority is doing this. Um, Last year, the emphasis was really on reconnection and making sure we help people foster those connections. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And through regular meetings, you pick that up pretty quick and ask those questions of where should we put this in the priority?
1: Do you, do you keep track of the history of your event as to what the priorities were? I'm just curious, like, is there like a kind of a timeline something where you would see like, oh, in 2012, that was our priority, and in 2007?
2: Now, now I'm like, oh, we'd better do that. And maybe we should go back and look at what we felt, because no, we, we I haven't. You know, I think I keep the usual, like, how many people attended which session, and um, how long did they spend in there? You, you get yeah. really in the minutiae. Yeah. But I think some of it is coming up, like you just reminded, and what is the big priority this year?
1: Yeah. And I think this is part of what, you know, when, when you're talking about the vision and the ability to see what foundations you've laid with the event in the past, sometimes allows for that conversation to zoom out as well with your event owner to look further down the line, right? To say, okay if you could dream up what this event looks like in 2030 or in 2032, or, um, you know, by a specific anchor date that may be aligned with the strategy that they have, then sometimes that's a really good looking back. Can we be, can be a really good motivator to look forward as well. Um, uh, which, which we kind of look, you know, call it zoom in, zoom out, yeah. right. Of, of Google street view to Google earth view. Um, on that point, Let's say, you were talking about the minutiae and the KPIs, and you have all these performance indicators about how long did people stay in the sessions. You, you have a lot of data apparently about your event, right? And there's 15 tracks and 20,000 people, or whatever number of people might be at that specific event. How do you articulate the value that the event creates back to the different types of stakeholders that you have?
2: So I know the exhibits have very specific ways they communicate you know, numbers and all kinds of data that help feed the exhibitor experience. Um, I, we do a big survey to say, hey, did we hit it, did we make it? Um, I think surveys are a little tricky because you never hit as broad of an area as you want. <laughs> And then tracking it back down becomes like, well, was this person in exhibits only or did they, you know, it, it's, it's just tricky, right? Yeah. So I think probably to be honest, we are not as good at the ROI of learning. So I know MPI has occasionally done some sessions on the return of investment on your learning. Yeah. And I think that's kind of probably a next generation thing for us. Whereas Mm -hmm. like the exhibits were good at giving them the data to prove that they should be at this event, right? But I think a lot of people don't track their learning. Did you get, and for me, that's a frustrating point. Just broadly, I'm like, you should demand more from your education. Mm -hmm. You're investing, Mm -hmm. I, I won't go back to conferences that didn't help me grow personally and professionally. I hope Mm -hmm. others don't, but I don't think organizations have quite figured out that return on learning yet, so to
1: speak. Yeah. Yeah, If it's, if it's, um, you know, in terms of event design, the way that we look at that, like you mentioned is does it get the jobs done that people need to get done? Right. Which can be sometimes super functional or emotional or, uh, social jobs to be done are also important jobs to be done like reconnecting and you know, fostering reconnections. Mm-hmm. Those might be a little bit harder to measure, but people, people know that or could name what that is, right? But uh, I think the learning objectives that you state in your instructional design, even on a session level, um, and the way that you probably you know, curate your content you know, through volunteer leaders that look at the scientific content on its merit, how does it fit mm-hmm. into the programming um all the ingredients are there to do the measurements um the question is always how much effort do you want to put into that you know delta from entry to exit on a session level right because there's only so many questions you can ask a person you know it becomes very sometimes a little bit robotic to kind of you know harvest all of that out of every single (laughs) session yeah
2: (laughs) and i think now that we're talking this year for instance we're making At our session level, all of our learning objectives more visible to attendees, Mm -hmm. trying to help get people to figure out like, oh, this session really does fit me and what I need right now. And we're trying to be clear on that. I think sometimes it's a challenge because you have so many different options for people, then they have to go in and read and it's it can be overwhelming so i think we're really working we've done a good job but we're working always constant improvement for weftech and i would say this year there's some constant improvement attention on can attendees find the right thing provide the right info without being overwhelmed we're really i would say weftech as a team is working really well on that and trying to help people understand And then for instance, this year we'll survey, did we meet those learning objectives of that session? Again, never get a ton of responses, but at least it gives you something. Yeah,
1: yeah, I like that. And uh, what some other organizations have done is actually done some, uh, what they like to call ethnographic research actually have participants or a number of people that are stakeholders at your events be your eyes and ears of the event right so where they actually do it for you right where they observe okay yes. i have these uh, uh, learning objectives actually been addressed in this session and sometimes you don't need to survey everyone but you can have you know uh, people that are your eyes and ears that enable you to observe the behaviors of the different uh, stakeholders and report from the first line of first point of first person point of view um, so there's so, there's so many mechanisms that you can deploy and, and use also in your event design that are super interesting also if you have a specific thing that you want to focus on um, that, that pops to mind in a, you know an experience from an organization we've been working with for four or five years who were very concerned that in one year at their event in Davos uh, how is the experience for uh, for the youngest learners, you know, for the, those that come in on scholarships and they're the youngest learners, how is their actually first time experience and how do you make their first time experience the entry point to a multi-year, you know, they didn't, they, we didn't call it loyalty or, but it, it's more like, does the first experience get you positively addicted to, yes, I want to return to this, right? Or. Were there so many blockers or you know hurdles that maybe that wasn't the case? And if so, what are those things from the perspective of that first time you know, younger generation participant? And it's interesting to look at that anecdotal evidence from that research. Yeah.
2: That's what I was going to say, and it's kind of like the secret shopper is yeah. what I almost call what you've been, yeah. we talked about a little bit here. And we were looking at deploying that a little bit this year. Um, was a secret shopper experience because to your point with so many sessions you can't get everyone and i don't want to call it a secret shopper, because but for years some of my workshop people have gone into sessions that they um, helped not create they reviewed and slotted and they provide feedback and like oh the interactivity didn't work or oh that was great people were engaged because engagement you can't tell from a survey always but you send someone in and they can see, were they on their phones or were they paying attention? And they report back and we use that year to year in their experiences. It's been really helpful over time.
1: That's really cool. And people, uh, what we've noticed is people really enjoy contributing to the event design, right? For the volunteer experience, it gives an enrichment to make someone that thinks they're only a participant now a volunteer, it's like, or you don't call it a volunteer, but you know, you're now part of the event design observation team or whatever it might be, right? Um, um, is super enriching for somebody to actually say I contribute to the design of the future event it right? can actually be an engagement in itself yeah. to look at the event through a different set of eyes and be able to retell the story maybe through pictures or through anecdotal moments that they recollect in the experience journey mm-hmm. and um, I think it's a very interesting you know, thing if you're at the level of evolution that you're at with your event and the s- scope and scale you almost need more eyes than your team or your volunteers' team only, right? Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny you say that too. This year we did, for the first time ever, a micro-volunteering for the review of abstracts. Mm -hmm. So we have about 200 people that review abstracts. And this year, we and you have to get on the program committee historically to review. This year we put a call out and just said, are you willing to review 5, 10, or 15, or 20 abstracts? Mm -hmm. And just tell us generally which topical area. we randomly assigned them to abstracts just to get end users, but who aren't having to give other time to helping build the sessions or facilitate them. They just came in, reviewed their few numbers, and our report out was really good on the participation. It was, they participated, and the survey indicated they were really happy and they would come back next year. Yeah. So we'll probably try to grow it a little bit because I think we had about 25 to 28 this year. And we'll try to grow it a little bit and make it another option.
1: Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> and I think it's these micro engagements that also create loyalty, right? So sometimes you want to contribute, but you don't have the energy or bandwidth to contribute year round or whatever. It might be contributing yep. in, at a specific point. Maybe when you're at the event, you're happy to contribute, but you can't contribute before or after or, you know, whatever it might be. So I like that a lot. Let me ask you the last question in this series, which is uh, how do you enable your event owner to connect their vision, right? Where is the organization headed to the event story? How do you enable them to connect their vision to the event story when it comes to the event narrative or the event story?
2: I think that one is almost, if you would picture it happening on the event canvas in the prototyping, you have to really think through what touch points at the event are going to kind of push forward the reconnection, for instance, from this past year, right? Um, For us, often it's at the opening general session. You kind of give that feeling through the speaker selection there and the remarks and that's kind of hitting a very broad audience. Um, But you have to work with them to make sure that the points and through marketing, you're kind of reiterating that whole like, okay, for instance, 21, the story was reconnection. So we kept hitting home that this year you were gonna be able to really reconnect with your other colleagues. And we were adding in, for instance, the learning exchanges were new where you could really peer to peer talk without having a speaker. Um, We let them know that we had more interaction. So you really kind of have to pare it down and push it through that prototype phase almost and think about the elements. On a large event, sometimes everyone's at different points of creation. So getting that vision put through, you have to be really intentional and think, okay, this is what we're doing.
1: I like that but it's almost like you you would you'd almost be able to take like a marker and go through the experience journey and say reconnection points right or uh, foster reconnections this is the one thing that does that and you highlight those things that that connect to the vision of what this thing should do right at large yeah um a lot of gold dust in this conversation Marianne thank you so much for sharing let's say these because you live this every day, um, you know, for the past ten years, and 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 you see this event. Um, this is your thing, right? This is what you foster year round and and look after for the organization. It's a big responsibility. Uh, thank you for sharing those uh, magic moments with us. Uh, may we call on you next year, right? Because we know you you will be joining our EDC mastermind this year as a CD pluser. Um, maybe calling you next year to look back at the horizon of change from let's say then it'll be 2023 look back at your horizon of change of this year how does that sound
2: that sounds great because i have a lot to think of from our conversation i took notes too
1: <laughs> excellent and, and you'll have the audio <laughs> podcast to to listen to right and and um don't leave us yet because we are we are wrapping up the onstage part here uh with mary ann from uh, weftech um where we've explored how the Water Environment Federation, you know, deals with its its biggest event, its its flagship or anchor event, whichever name you would like to give it. But um, and join us backstage to listen more about the things we couldn't address in this onstage part. Um, and look in the uh, footer notes of the podcast; you will find some of the links that we mentioned, maybe a link to the to the event, um, as well as the worksheet and the answers that Mary Ann will be. Uh, submitting that we can then share with you. And you can take the worksheet yourself as well to test yourself or to give us your view on your horizons of change. So uh, thank you, Marianne, for this on
0: stage part.
2: Thank you.
0: This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.